The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me. I appreciate you. So listen, uh, tons of stuff going on. There is such a ton of stuff going on. It's impossible to keep up with everything today. Uh, first of all, we have Benjamin Rubenstein back on the show. Very excited to have him back. It's been a little while since he's been on. Uh, I always love our conversation, so I'm pumped to have him back. Uh, he's a fantastic independent journalist, um, uh, and we uh, have usually discuss Israel-Palestine. A couple other things we're going to talk about today, though, as well. Um, okay, so first First of all, another quick reminder, uh, we are attempting um, to get fundraising going for a second billboard truck to run in New York City in the days leading up to the Julian Assange hearings, which are taking place on February 20th and 21st. Um, So this is kind of the uh, Hail Mary pass, I guess you could call it. Um, This is really the last uh, attempt to keep him from being extradited to the United States from uh, the UK. So if the request for appeal is, sorry, I have a hair. If there's a request for appeal is approved, um, it, uh, uh, it, he will, I mean, he will probably be extradited within, it could be hours, could be days. We don't really know. Um, uh, it, so it's really kind of the last hurrah, the last chance uh, of legal action, at least the last main line of defense. I think that there's a couple other potential legal avenues they could pursue in courting the European Court of Human Rights. Um, but that's kind of a tenuous situation in and of itself. So it's uh, this really is kind of the last hurrah. So we are attempting to get two uh, large billboard trucks. We already have one funded and paid for. Randy Credico took care of that. Um, I have a GoFundMe, the link for that, if you would like to contribute or help us by sharing it, that's tremendously helpful, just sharing the link. Uh, the link for that is in the Substack for today's show, and it'll be in uh, each day's show um, probably all week long so that we can try to uh, raise that money. It was a last minute decision to try to get that second truck running. So this is a very, we have a very brief window of time to try to raise the money. I think we're up to like $2,100 or something like that. We need six grand. Um, so if you uh, can contribute, please consider it. If you cannot, don't feel bad. I get it. Um, But sharing the link is tremendously helpful. Also, um, I wanted to bring up something that Craig Murray uh, tweeted out earlier today. Craig Murray, if you don't know, is a former uh, ambassador to Uzbekistan uh, from the UK. Um, He is also a whistleblower, uh, journalist, blogger, you name it, he does it. Um, But he tweeted out earlier today, the high court in London has ruled That people in Scotland and Northern Ireland will not be permitted to log in and witness online the crucial public, quote unquote, public February 20th and 21st Assange appeal hearing. They warn to do so will be contempt of court and up to two years in jail. And he says he's working on an article. Okay, that's insane. Um, (laughs) It's this is the, uh, in my opinion, the single most important court case on press freedom and free speech, I think ever, certainly in modern history. Um, And the idea that they have ruled that if you uh, attempt to log in to attend this public hearing, you could potentially be put in jail for two years is pure insanity. So um, apparently uh, he's gotten some further information where apparently you can apply for permission uh, to log in to view the hearing, but that doesn't guarantee that you will be approved. And in fact, it says that it it's almost certainly to not be approved. So he's working on an article on that. Um, hopefully I will uh, have more information about that, but I wanted to just bring that to everybody's attention because again, this is an incredibly important, supposedly public hearing and any kind of ruling like that is 
ridiculous. Also, I wanted to uh, bring up the fact that, um, so for those of you who have been following the Assange case for a very long time, know that uh, former UN Special Rapporteur on torture, Nils Melzer, obviously left his position. He's moved on to other things. Um, and so there was kind of a hole um, in the Assange movement, I guess you would call it, where he had provided a lot of um, uh, you know, very credible support. He was a very vocal supporter, still is, uh, just from a, a different uh, position of authority, I guess you could say. Well, it, it turns out that it's okay because the new uh, UN Special Rapporteur on Torture is named Alice J. Edwards, and she too is um, urging the UK government to halt the extradition of Julian Assange. So that is very good. Um, uh, she says here, this is from uh, the UN's website. It says, the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, Alice Jill Edwards, today urged the government of the United Kingdom to halt the possible extradition of Julian Assange to the United States of America. She called on British authorities to consider Julian Assange's appeal based on substantial fears that if extradited, he would be at risk of treatment amounting to torture or other forms of ill treatment or punishment. Quote, Julian Assange suffers from a long-standing and recurrent depressive disorder. He is assessed as being at risk of committing suicide. In the United States, he faces numerous charges, including under the Espionage Act of 1917 for alleged unlawful releases of diplomatic and other cables and documents via WikiLeaks. If extradited, he could be detained in prolonged isolation while awaiting trial or as an inmate. If convicted, he could be sentenced to up to 175 years in prison. The risk of being placed in prolonged solitary confinement despite his precarious mental health status and to receive a potentially disproportionate sentence raises questions as to whether Mr. Assange's extradition to the United States would be compatible with the United Kingdom's international human rights obligations particularly under Article 7 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, as well as respective Articles 3 of the UN Convention Against Torture and European Convention on Human Rights. So if you would like to read um, the entire article that they have here, it's not uh, a whole lot longer than what I've just read here. Um, there's a couple other points that they mentioned here, but this just came out today. Again, it's on the UN uh, website. You can go to ohchr.org um, and find the press release there. Uh, but that's good. That's good to know that um, despite losing Professor Nils Melzer in that position, um, it seems as though uh, Alice Edwards is also uh, in support of Julian Assange and the prevention of his extradition. So good news on that front. Um, and uh, hopefully she will be able to make some noise and call some attention to the cause. So, okay. Don't forget, you can follow me over on Twitter at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out the substack, mistywinston.substack.com. Write up for the guests of the day every day with links so you can find follow and support their work as well also fundraiser link will be in there um every day this week um and if you would like you can shoot me an email misty winston at tntradio.live guest idea show idea whatever hit me up uh, i'll try to get back to you and hey don't miss out on a thing uh you can download the tnt radio app from either the apple app store or google play so you can easily watch or listen to us live anywhere anytime it's available right now to download and we will keep you up to speed right here on today's news talk tnt Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. According to a new report by Foundation for Freedom Online, uh, a technology nonprofit's firm's quote-unquote fact checker, I love fact checkers, and quote-unquote misinformation tip line, that's a new one, uh, project received $5.7 million in 2021 from... The federal government. What's wrong with that? Here with this story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. All right, I've never heard of a misinformation tip line, my friend. What is this? 
Well, whatever it is, Misty, most likely it appears that it was created by uh, citizen spies uh, feeding information into uh, an AI program. So it's all wonderful news. This is great. Um, actually, not so great. This, uh, this is a fairly recent report uh, that came out from the um, FFO. Uh, which uh, I'm giving the name of this report so you guys can look this up. It's called Civic Listening, Political Informants and Citizen Spies Rebranded. That should tell you everything you need to know, uh, <laughs> in which it describes in great detail what the executive director of Foundation for Freedom Online, Mike Benz, calls a, quote, snitch network of citizen informants, end quote. Uh, and he describes how this information is obtained Analyze using some sort of AI, resulting in identification of "quote unquote" misinformation trends, and it goes from there. Uh, one of the t he talks about a number of things in his report. One of them is something called Algorithmic Transparency Institute. Uh, the money for that comes from firms that you know backdoor uh, comes. They receive government funds and congressionally chartered organizations, but. This report was picked up by the Daily Caller News Foundation, who noticed that this other group, uh, the nonprofit, received all this money from the federal government, i.e. the taxpayers. So we might have an issue here. Uh, and this goes something to like this. Uh, government spending data has revealed that the National Science Foundation, aha, oh, that is a U.S. government agency. They awarded a multi-million dollar grant to MEDAN, is the name of this group, for a project titled, quote, Fact Champ, Fact Checker, Academic and Community Collaboration Tools, Combating Hate, Abuse, and Misinformation with Minority-Led Partnerships, end quote. Wow, that's a word salad right there. Part of MEDAN's CoSite's research project aims to build, quote unquote, misinformation tip lines as a means of, quote, supporting free speech, end quote. That's according to their <laughs> website. Uh, their website states, quote, we are working to promote a healthy and inclusive public sphere online in which everyone, including historically marginalized and minoritized groups, can equally participate. Our overarching goal is to empower people to understand and evaluate the information they see online. We do this by building tools such as misinformation tip lines that give that people can choose to consult if they want to learn more about a given piece of content, end quote. According to Medan, quote unquote, disinformation is, quote, too often out of sight from mainstream misinformation response efforts. Uh, the nonprofit claims, quote, co-insights brings together community organizations, academics and fact checkers to address misleading and harmful narratives. In this way, we are fostering interracial solidarities, greater understanding and better democracy, end quote. Uh, Me Dan's fact checking efforts seek to identify a and track long-lasting narratives instead of focusing on one claim at a time. It explains, quote, this approach can move the status quo away from content moderation and towards an approach more akin to email spam detection or local antivirus software, end quote. I think you kind of see what they're doing here. Uh, but yeah, it turns out that they received a whole bunch of money. Um, what was it again? $5.7 million worth. And this was back in 2021. So uh, in case you're wondering, where does my taxpayer money go? Uh, well, sometimes it goes to spy on you uh, using AI fact-checking <laughs> tools that are a bunch of hocus-pocus, Misty. What do you think? 
Well, I mean, if the NSA is not spying on you, then somebody's got to. Um, And they all are, really, let's be honest. But this, uh, there's so many red flag buzzwords just in this one article that you were just reading from. Uh, It is mind blowing to me. In fact, there was, there's this one paragraph here, uh, just a bit down uh, from where you were just reading, where it says, quote, misinformation is destabilizing elections, slowing pandemic recovery, entrenching climate change denial, and creating civil unrest and violence. I mean, really? Really? I mean, do you know who's destabilizing elections? The United States government. That's who's destabilizing. You know, we don't have real elections. There are destabilize. What can you destabilize? We don't have real elections. We can't even audit our uh, uh, our, our, uh, our voting machines. We can't. It's proprietary software. We can't even get access to it. We can't even check to see if our elections are legit. Not to mention mail-in ballots and all of the other. You guys know. You guys know. There's there's absolutely uh, no question about it. Our elections are garbage. Slowing pandemic recovery. Are they joking? Like I can't even. I can't even with all of this stuff and it is the the way that they are trying to uh couch it as they're doing it to promote free speech supporting free speech they said quote supporting free speech there's nothing supportive uh uh to free speech here there's zero support to free speech here um uh listen is misinformation or bad information an issue? Are there a lot of dumb people on the internet sharing really wrong information? Of course there are. Uh, there's no question about it. But you do not combat bad information um, by silencing it. That's just not a thing. You do it with better information. You do it by sharing the truth. And here's the thing that drives me the most crazy about this. It would be... Um, Uh, I I won't say it would be super easy at this point, but it would have been easy um, for them to combat this kind of thing if they just told the truth. Then people would trust governmental institutions. They would trust mainstream media. They would trust. There would be a trust, a level of trust amongst the public and these people and these institutions and the government. There isn't that because they're liars. They are the biggest purveyor of misinformation on planet Earth, in my opinion, is the United States government and their cronies in mainstream media. So um, it's uh, I, I want to know who's um, who's calling the tip line on them. Who's calling the tip line on Rachel Maddow when she screeches about Russia for six, seven years straight? Who's calling uh, the the misinformation tip line on Chris Cuomo when he told everybody it was illegal to read WikiLeaks? Who's I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Like we could go through. I mean, right now, as I'm speaking, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they're telling probably a dozen lies before I can even finish this sentence. So it is insane to me that they want to police your speech. They want to, you know, come after you. They want to make sure that you can't speak freely when they're out here telling by far the most lies of anybody I know on planet Earth. I don't think that it's even debatable at this point, but I mean, I'm sure it's fine. What do you think, Adam? No, it's not fine, but um, all of that is well and good. I, I would like to see more so than them simply telling the truth. I would like all of the lies and the crimes and the horrors to stop. You yeah. know, I, I could care. Like, I mean, as far as the, the, the actual leaders are concerned, the government officials, politicians and whatnot, talking heads even sometimes, like the big figures, the social media influencers, they need to come out. And just, you know, I don't care if they if they're telling us the truth about what they're doing to us, but they keep doing it to us. That's not very helpful either. Let's you know, get rid of these rules. You know. Yeah, I mean, some accountability would be good. I'd like to see them all in prison. Frankly, they all deserve to be in prison. And yes, I'm including mainstream media journalists. They're the ones who 
uh, lie and perpetuate these narratives and get us mixed up in these situations. I mean, every single war, Julian Assange has said this, um, uh, every war is a, uh, in the past 50 years is a result of media lies, period, end of story. Without the media lying to the United States public, without the media covering for power, without the media spreading misinformation about these situations, uh, we wouldn't have uh, all of the wars that we've had. They, they wouldn't have been uh, accepted by the United States public, period. Uh, populations do not like wars. They have to be lied into wars. Um, so yeah, that I would like to see each and every one of them held accountable. That's not going to happen. Um, but that's all the more reason why we need to fight back against garbage like this. And uh, certainly when taxpayer money is funding it, that's not okay. Um, so thanks for bringing us this story, Adam. We'll keep an eye on it and uh, and see what comes of this. If anything, we shall see. Uh, hang tight. We're going to be right back after this here on today's News Talk. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time, when the Western Empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan. Whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behaviour and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the truth shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit, and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account, except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a, a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries. Stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. All right. We are here with my pal, Benjamin Rubenstein, who is a content creator, geopolitical analyst, and independent anti-imperialism journalist based in Nicaragua. You can follow him over on Twitter at Ben F. Rubenstein, and you can also check out his work on Patreon, Telegram, Instagram, YouTube, all of those good places. Uh, so, Benjamin, thanks so much for being back on the show. Thanks for having me, Misty. Yeah, of course. It's always, I love our chats. It's been a little while since you've been on because you've been busy. So I'm happy to have you back. So obviously I want to talk to you about Israel-Palestine. That's something that you and I are both very passionate about. We talk about it frequently, but I wanted to get your take on something um, a little off topic, I guess. I mean, it's, I guess you could kind of tie it in, but Tucker Carlson is in Russia uh, and it seems as if he is going to be, or already has interviewed President Putin. And Everybody is freaking out over this. What do you think about Tucker Carlson in interviewing Putin? Well, I think I think it's incredible. I also don't think he would have published that little hype video if he hadn't already had the goods secured. 
as yeah. it were. Uh, you know, he's, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's a little sad, but also really exciting at the same time. It's exciting for obvi the obvious reasons, you know, the war has been going on in Ukraine and hardly any American has actually heard from Vladimir Putin. They just get a constant sludge of trash from mainstream media. But it's a little sad in, in that regard as well, because the bar is just so low for journalism that interviewing the head of one of the most powerful states in the world is uh, is some people are calling it the most significant journalistic event all year. Uh, the year has been short, but I'm sure the, the sentiment remains. So I think it's really exciting. I can't wait to watch it. I uh, I hope he doesn't go easy uh, because I know that, you know, obviously Putin is going to have the answers ready to go. He knows his stuff pretty well. He's not a Joe Biden style leader. He's right. an actual world <laughs> leader uh, with a head on his shoulders, a good one. So it's going to be very interesting and I, I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch it, too. And I am not really a fan of Tucker Carlson. I don't trust him in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I think that he is suspect at best. Um, but I think that you're right. The idea that nobody has tried to... I mean, I'm, I'm sure people have tried to talk to Putin. But the idea that no Western journalists have spoken to Putin, have, uh, you know, that is my, and I guess it shouldn't surprise me, but it kind of does it because that's a story, right? I mean, that you would think that there would be some intrepid independent journalist somewhere who would, you know, make some effort to, you know, do, I don't know. The idea that it's Tucker Carlson, I think is great though, because he does have such a massive following already. And that obviously will get, uh, you know, a lot more people interested. I think any, it doesn't matter though. I think it's Putin. I think most people are going to be curious to what he's going to say. And you're right. Um, I'm a little concerned because I saw Tucker Carlson's interview with Donald Trump and I, that was so softball that it was embarrassing. So I'm a little concerned that he's not going to, as you said, like he needs to ask tough questions. He needs, and that he, he's not dealing with <laughs> Joe Biden. Uh, Putin is a very smart guy. He knows what he's doing. Um, uh, and so I, I don't know. I'm very interested to see how it turns out. I just, uh, it, it's just really depressing to me that this is considered, uh, I've heard some people say it's treasonous. Benjamin, treasonous. <laughs> To interview wow. a world leader as a journalist. It's insane, right? It's sad how bar how low the bar has gone. Uh, you know, yeah. I think I think he probably will throw hardball questions. I mean, I you're so. right about the Donald Trump interview. That was a softball interview, but you know, they're like best buddies. People are talking about possibly Tucker Carlson being Trump's vice president. Uh so I wasn't too surprised when that, you know, interview was kind of softball, as you say, but with Putin, he's he's not, you know, his for, the former president of the country Tucker Carlson is from. He's the president of a country who is running a, a military operation in uh, in Ukraine, and uh, Tucker Carlson is American. He's not Russian, so I, I do expect that, uh, you know, had during the talks for arranging this, it was, I think it's very likely that Tucker Carlson got assurances that he could basically ask whatever he wanted to ask. And to be completely honest, you know, I don't agree with Tucker Carlson on everything. I do think he's right about a lot, even if he's coming at it from a sort of a different angle than myself. But I do think he's the right person for the job because, as you said, he has a massive audience. They're mostly right wingers uh, who often tend to sort of kind of be open to the fact that, you know, Russia is not, you know, the boogeyman under your bed waiting to snatch American children and 
do God knows what. Yeah, right. <laughs> the way that they try to paint. That's what's so amazing about this is that Putin has been, um, there's been a whole lot of conversation about him, but nobody has really heard from him. And even the addresses that he has given, he's given numerous addresses in Russia throughout the course of this whole situation. Uh, they're not aired in the United States ever. Um, uh, and if they are, it's clipped out and it's very spun for, you know, whatever nefarious purposes. But yeah, I think that you're right. I think that he is probably, Tucker is probably the right guy for this uh, particular interview. I mean, one of, I, there are a couple other people who I could see uh, interviewing Putin and it being a, a worthwhile venture and a successful venture. Um, I, I wish that because I, I, I think a lot of the people who were going to are going to need to hear this with uh, like a fresh set of eyes or with uh, potentially who might I, I wish because liberals are going to dismiss this immediately. And that's who really we need to uh, yeah. approach well, liberals this, would you know? dismiss it just right yeah. off the head. You know, uh, so many the propaganda is so heavy that with or without this interview, there's a lot of people who are just not going to change their minds on yeah. the situation. And uh, no matter how good of a job Tucker Carlson does as a journalist, I, I think that there's a lot of people, even if they watch it, they're they're just not coming into it with an open mind. So it's not going to, you know, change the course of you know how Americans think about Vladimir Putin. But it's important that people, even people who who will never, uh, you know, support Putin or think Putin's the boogeyman, it's important that they hear it too, because, um, you know, if you if you don't know, I mean, if you consider Putin your enemy. You should want to know what he's saying, even right. if even if you consider him your enemy, especially if you consider him your enemy, you should want to know what he's saying. For sure. And that's always been very curious to me because, um, uh, again, it doesn't really doesn't matter your opinion on Vladimir Putin. It doesn't matter if you love him and think he's the best world, world leader that's ever led. It doesn't matter if you hate him and think he is literally the devil incarnate. Um, he is the, the president of Russia. Uh, a very powerful country with which our country is at odds with, uh, which is leading a military operation in a country that we essentially took over. Um, it's You would think that people would be at least curious about what he has to say and that there would be some um, uh, clamoring for interviews like this. And so I was a little surprised uh, at the, I mean, just outrage that i'm seeing across social media about tucker carlson i mean the idea he's a traitor this is treason i can't believe he's in russia i mean it's the absolute absurdity of the reactions in particular from liberals obviously is it's kind of entertaining and so i'm really excited i hope i really i just really hope he doesn't go softball i really i mean when he interviewed donald trump and didn't ask a single question about julian assange i was furious i was furious i'm like he has to be joking right like you're not going to ask him not even one question about julian assange and so um I, you're right it's a different situation this is a different setup it's a different person i think maybe uh there's a potential that he's not going to go super softball and i'm just so unbelievably curious about what this interview is going to be like so okay we got to take a quick break we're gonna get some headlines hang tight we'll be back here on today's news talk i got a news flash for you news flash tnt radio news for TNT, this is James O'Neill. The Senate's border Ukraine package, unveiled recently, is facing significant hurdles due to growing resistance from both Senate and House Republicans. An Arizona bill spearheaded by Republican House Majority Leader Leo Basucci aims to address the issue of forced organ harvesting in China and other designated foreign adversaries. Carolina Shino, a Ukrainian-born model with Japanese citizenship and the winner of the 2024 Miss Japan beauty pageant, has voluntarily given up her title following revelations of her relationship with a married 
man. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Here are those pictures that you asked for for your school project. First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those <laughs> beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give Mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we are here with Benjamin Rubenstein. We're just having a little chat. We were just talking about Tucker interviewing uh, President Putin. I'm super interested. I can't, I honestly can't wait to watch it. I hope everybody tunes in regardless of your opinion uh, on Putin or Tucker. It shouldn't matter. You should want to hear what uh, uh, he has to say. So uh, definitely check that out. Okay, um, I wanted to obviously talk to you about Israel-Palestine. Um, it's been a while since you've been on. Much has happened. Um, it's horrific watching this all continue to play out as it is uh with really no end in sight there's been some kind of very tepid conversations around you know potential ceasefires what what do you think where do you think this is going because i feel like israel as we i think we talked about last time i think israel has for sure lost the pr war um i think that there's no question about that at this point but i just don't know that that i don't know that they care uh so where do you think that this is headed do you think there's any end to this in sight um, you know, it's an interesting question. I, I think on one hand, uh, I'm a little conflicted about which direction Hamas will go because it's Hamas who's the decision makers here. Israel has already signaled that they uh, are willing to do uh, a ceasefire, a temporary one, uh, in exchange for hostages. Meanwhile, uh, Hamas has supposedly given good signals, but you really can never trust these uh, sorts of things. People are pu publishing news for their own benefit. Qatar wants another diplomatic win uh, and to be known as like the, the mediator, the successful mediator in this uh, war. Um, on the other hand, Hamas and Gaza in general don't have very much more to lose. Yeah. They have lost over 26,000 people, over 13,000 ch children, uh, you know, women, children. It's it's horrific. It's over 100 journalists. So, you know, even if there is a two-month ceasefire, so Israel could just be like, oh, you know, we're going to go back after two months and, you know, maybe the world will, like, lose attention. But people aren't going to lose attention like that. They'll go right back. To watching as soon as those bombs drop start dropping again hamas could think oh well okay we have some time to rebuild our military infrastructure but I, at the same time i wouldn't be surprised to see hamas stick to what they've been saying which is unless it is a complete end of hostilities you withdraw from the gaza strip stop dropping bombs uh, then we're not going to give you anything back. And I don't blame them if that is the way they decide to go. Personally, I think I try to put myself in their shoes, right? 
you're fighting against a colonial occupying genocidal force who wants to just completely wipe you out. And, you know, they have no illusions about that, right? Hamas knows that Israel just wants to get rid of Palestine, get rid of Palestinians. So their their calculus being, oh, okay, we have nothing more to lose, so we're just not going to give them what they want unless they give us exactly what we want uh, is is smart and, uh, and, and logical. Uh, because again, they have not much more to lose. They only have a finite amount of hostages. They only have a finite amount of leverage as a result. So I couldn't see them definitely being like, listen, no, we're not going to do this ceasefire with you. We'll keep fighting and Israel will keep continue losing international support. Um, that being said, they could also have a different style of calculus, which is that if there is sort of a two month ceasefire, is that long enough for Israeli politics to sort of sit back, take a breath and and think about like, is Netanyahu the right person to be leading us right now? He's in a very difficult political position. So, you know, there are so many variables. And if I were, uh, you know, on the, if I were running the decisions in Gaza, I would definitely be wanting uh, a sweetheart deal to say the least. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought up that you try to put yourself in their shoes because I see and we how many times have we heard? Yeah, but do you condemn Hamas? No, no, I do not. I absolutely (laughs) do not. And and people get so mad at me when I say that. But who am I to tell an oppressed people how they get to resist? I don't get to say, hey, from my nice cozy house here in Ohio, in the United States of America, where I'm not dealing with occupation and apartheid and snipers and uh, all of the things that Palestinians have had to deal with over the course of the past seven or eight decades. Who am I to say, oh, no, you can't do that. Like, you can't resist in that manner. That's just, no, that's ridiculous on its face. And I'm so tired of people pretending as if um, you know, uh, you get to you get to finger wag or Monday morning quarterback the way an occupied people choose to resist. That is um, absurd on so many levels. And I'm so tired of that question being asked to everybody. Do you condemn? I wish somebody would ask me. I wish Piers Morgan would ask me. No, sir, I do not condemn Hamas. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but I do not condemn Hamas. Um, I condemn Israel for the multi-decade occupation and the apartheid and uh, the starvation of the Palestinian people and the way that they have been abused to them, the kidnappings, the uh, uh, indefinite detention that thousands of Palestinians have been living under with no uh, legal recourse. Yeah, all of those things. Yes, I condemn all of that. Absolutely. And Bernie Sanders is still is such a coward and such a fraud. I saw him. Uh, I think I forget who he was on. Maybe Seth Meyers or something. And he, he had, of course, um, Hamas began this war. No, <laughs> no, they did not. They did not. Benjamin, it drives me nuts when people say like everything began on October 7th. It did not begin on October 7th. This should this did not happen. in a. it's not like Hamas woke up one day and everything was hunky dory fine. And they were like, hey, we're going to go and uh, uh, and attack Israel. That's not what happened. And it drives me insane that there's this in real time effort to rewrite history. Right. It's mind blowing to me. Oh, 
It's, it's, it's so appalling. Funny. And Bernie it Sanders is. just continues to make himself out to be a clown, especially in this regard. He's supposed to be a progressive Jew. Well, progressive Jews are supposed to be anti-Zionist. And if you're saying that Hamas started this war, you're definitely not an anti-Zionist and you're definitely participating in a degree of historical revisionism that is akin to Holocaust denial, quite literally. Mm -hmm. This has been a 75-year occupation. This mass slaughter is just a, a heightened tension of a war that's been ongoing. And it's worth noting, you talked about October 7th, Hamas... Palestinians in general have a right to armed resistance. Israel yeah. does actually not have a right to self-defense under international law. And, you know, of course you support the resistance. Of course I support the resistance and your audience likely does as well. But it's important that, you know, a lot of these claims that Israel is putting out there that, oh, Hamas killed X amount of people. That's, you know, I mean, the original number was what, 1,400? It's gone mm -hmm. down by hundreds. It's been proven that they enacted the Hannibal Doctrine, which is to basically kill their own people as in order to prevent Hamas from getting leverage. And a lot of these, all of these rape stories, which, you know, if someone did get raped, I think that's horrible. I mean, it doesn't make me condemn Hamas, but it does make me say, mm, what's the story behind this? Because there is actually no evidence. There's been investigations from the gray zone. There's been, you know, retractions of incoming podcasts from the New York Times. Even Israeli media itself has said, I believe it was Haaretz, has said that they've been unable to find evidence. And it's, you know, the evidence is elusive. And the people, a lot of the people who have made these claims have turned out to have, have turned out to essentially be, be professional fraudsters. Yeah. So the, any any of these atrocity propaganda claims that Israel is making to justify their genocide against Palestine, I think it, it has gone out the window in terms of credibility. So absolutely. No, I do not condemn the resistance in any way. I mean, I'm right there with you, Mr. Yeah. And it, it, it is, um, I'm glad that there's a lot more people who are willing to say that out loud. I think that uh, previously that is something that we wouldn't have seen. And I think that that is how you know that Israel has genuinely lost here because uh, more, more and more people are willing to stand up and say with their whole chest, no, I do not condemn Hamas. And I think we're going to continue to see the number of people willing to do that grow as this continues, because people are just going to become more and more disgusted by what uh, uh, Israel is doing. So, OK, we got to take another quick break. Hang tight. We're going to be back here on today's News Talk. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, the latest in the Michael Mann versus Mark Stein trial is a little bit interesting. And I'm trying to figure out if this is right. Apparently, Dr. Mann's lawyers, there are four of them. And remember, Mark Stein is defending himself by himself. Apparently they've asked for a nominal fee as far as damages go. And there is a rumor that what was asked for, now sit down, you ready for this? Was $1. Now, Mark Stein has spent around three and a half million dollars, I've heard. I don't know, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Defending himself from Michael Mann and Michael Mann's lawsuit over the fact that Mark Stein thinks that Michael Mann hid the data and he called him a fraud, right? Now, I could see, for instance, let's say uh, the number one climatologist in the world said that to you. That's one thing. But Mark Stein is a journalist. That's the first thing. Second thing is he had to raise the money to defend himself. And we've gone over this. But one dollar? Why would 
Michael Mann only want one dollar. You know why? He just wants the decision. He just wants to be able to say, see, he actually did defame me. I won the court case. Well, I don't think Stein wants any part of that because of the fact that he wants to drill it home that what Michael Mann did, take two samples out of 22 and then hide, he did. He hit the data from people who would criticize it and actually tear it apart. Mark Stein wants that to come out. One's pursuing the truth, the other seems to be hiding it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. The impact of a meal goes well beyond feeding our bodies. Because when people are fed, futures are nourished. Everyone deserves to live a full life. And with your help, together we can end hunger. Join the movement at feedingamerica.org slash act now. Cutting through the clutter, this is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. We are here with my friend ben Benjamin Rubenstein. We're talking about Israel-Palestine. Obviously, there is much to discuss on that front. Uh, doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of um, slowing down. Uh, in fact, there's new reports out that there's been a shocking spike. I don't know if it's all that shocking. A shocking spike in illegal force against Palestinians in the West Bank. We've seen uh, the West Bank doesn't get near enough talk, I don't think. Obviously, I think most of the um, violence is being perpetuated against Gaza. Um, obviously, that's clear. Uh, but there's been a, a very serious increase in uh, shenanigans, to say the least, in the West Bank as well. So um, uh, Kyle Anslone just tweeted about this earlier, um, and he has an article up at the Libertarian Institute. Uh, everybody go check that out for sure. Okay, so, um, it, you know, I, you and I have talked about this before, I think, but um, you know people who have been to Gaza. You know people who have, I mean, Max uh, Blumenthal and Dan Cohen and did a fantastic documentary. If y'all have not seen that, you should go watch it. Um, in my opinion, it's one of uh, the key pieces of media uh, to watch in order to understand the historical context of what's going on in Palestine. But um, I, I know, as you've mentioned, like when Dan was there, uh, it, Hamas was very protective of him as he is Jewish. Um, and we've seen we've heard stories, uh, uh, similar situations about that. I mean, for example, if we talk about uh, the recent uh, allegations, really, I, don't, I think it's just been proven that Israel is desecrating Palestinian cemeteries. But then we see on the flip side of that, there are Israeli, there are Jewish cemeteries in Palestine, in Gaza, that are well-maintained, that are beautiful, that have been taken care of, that they've been lovingly making sure that the grass is cut and that there are flowers and that everything is very pristine. Um, and so the dichotomy of that, I, of that, I think, is really telling. But, I mean, uh, speak a little bit about, um, you know, like what people like Dan have experienced there, because I think that a lot of people... Um, haven't heard those stories where it, this is not uncommon either, where Hamas has provided protection for people who have been there as journalists or just in general um, who are, in fact, Jewish. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for the audience listening, Killing Gaza is the name of the documentary from Dan yes. and Max. It's free on YouTube. You can find it pretty easily. Um, you know, as, as you said, Dan, Dan got uh, additional protection. I've heard him tell the story both on, on lives and in, in personal settings. And, you know, he, he was he he told somebody he was Jewish 
uh, in Gaza. And the next day he got called into Hamas's security office and told, like, listen, you can't do that. You don't know who's going to hear what. And they gave him additional protection. Uh, and this is not unheard of. You know, even a lot of the propaganda you hear around Palestinian resistance and sure Hamas gets the brunt of it because they're the elected government of Gaza. But a lot of it is, oh, you know, they want to kill all Jews and this and that. But the reality is it doesn't say that in Hamas's charter. It actually has never said that in Hamas's charter. But yeah. the most recent one, I believe, was updated in 2017. And I believe it's Article 16 of this charter that specifically says that they don't have a problem with Jewish people and that actually their problem is with the Zionists who are occupying them. And it's the Zionists who constantly draw a conflation between Judaism and Zionism, which is something I personally reject very strongly. So, you know, they, they outright reject the idea of anti-Semitism in general. They don't, they don't support anti-Semitism. And to be completely honest, there's no reason that, you know, even in some distant future where Hamas was in control of Palestine from the river to the sea, there is no reason, nothing in their charter that says that Jews, Christians, Muslims, and atheists couldn't live there in peace. In fact, there have been senior Hamas leaders who have stated that that is actually what they want yeah. for it to be a holy land for everybody. Uh, and where everybody has equal rights without apartheid. And I think, you know, this demonization of Gaza and, and of anyone from Gaza, and especially of the essential army of Palestine, which is Hamas, uh, you know, a lot of that demonization is necessary for Israel to justify itself. Because if if Hamas isn't going around raping Israeli women and beheading children, lies which have been widely debunked, then what is the reason for the genocide, right? And even, I mean, they haven't, but even if they did, it still doesn't justify the genocide on Gaza. No. Yes. And you're absolutely right there. I mean, nothing that Hamas did on October 7th uh, even comes close to justifying the um, unbelievable onslaught of violence that has taken place since then. And um, uh, it, it's it, as we said earlier, there's really and I think Aaron Mateus said this very well. He said Israel's only obligation is to end the occupation, period. That is it. They There is no right to defend itself. That doesn't exist. You are an occupying force. Um, uh, but Palestine has a right to defend itself. That is the way that this works. That is international law. It is very well known. Um, and so this whole, but they, I think what Israel has done so well um, over the course of its existence um, is really uh, effectively control the narrative and effectively control the way that things are spoken about. And um, obviously they've had a, a, a wide uh, a birth of control over Western media. Um, and I think that that has been, but that I think is what has completely fallen away um, at this point, because I think we have so much access to on the ground in real time information that, as you mentioned, just a couple of the lies that they've been caught in the beheaded babies, the raping of women, which there is zero evidence to support at this point. Um, and in fact, uh, the New York Times guy, oh, what's his name? Gettleman, I think. Right. Gettleman. Um, I'm so bad at names. Uh, but the New York Times guy 
writes this article about this woman, makes her the face of the sexual assault, the, the rampant sexual assault that took place on October 7th. And her family had to come forward publicly and be like, no, sir, that there's no evidence that she was raped. There's And how dare you use her in this manner? And that's just so disgusting to me. But that's that I think is just par for the course of the way that they've been able to control the narrative. Um, and you're right. They have been uh, able to really demonize Hamas and really Palestine in general um, by creating these narratives and by spinning things in a way that, uh, you know, they think just justifies their actions. But that has all fallen away, I think. Um, and I think that that's what we're starting to see. I think we're starting to see legitimate desperation uh, on the part of Israel. And um, that concerns me because I think the more desperate they get, the more dangerous they could become. Um, but uh, I think that they I think they know that they have lost international support. I mean, we're seeing it. I think it was what was it? Spain, I think, recently has said that they're no longer going to be supplying arms to Israel. Numerous countries have backed out of deals. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see that happen. So what do you think that the ICJ case is going to have any bearing on Israel's action? Obviously, they were given, I think it was two months. Hey, investigate yourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and come back and tell us whether or not you're committing genocide. So weak. But do you think that that's going to have any bearing moving forward? Because I was kind of curious if you thought that the potential ceasefires were conveniently timed uh, around that ICJ case in a way that Israel might be able to kind of skirt around oh look we're not committing a genocide there's a ceasefire you know what i mean right yeah no absolutely i think that it, it was conveniently timed as you said you know i um i think that it's not if anything it's the icj ruling uh specifically serves to put internal and external political pressure on israel obviously israel you know i think it was uh Itamar ben gavir the minister uh, the interior minister um, basically said, hey, Schmeg, uh, yeah. as, as that ruling came out. Uh, and, you know, this is the Itamar Ben-Gavir. He's the one who wants to, like, take down the Al-Aqsa Mosque and is leading a movement to do that, is arming the settlers en masse. Uh, and so, yes, I do think that the ceasefire is a direct result of the ICJ ruling of plausible genocide. Um, of the ICJ ruling where they basically told Israel, listen, you can't kill any more Palestinians. They actually said that, uh, So, uh, which isn't a call for a ceasefire, but it's basically a call for a ceasefire. Um, so, yeah, I do think that the that that is one of the reasons for the ceasefire here and now. Uh, I do also think that, um, you know, the Biden administration and the Netanyahu administration are uh, increasingly at odds with each other. Uh, Biden knows and Secretary Blinken knows that they can't really reason with somebody like Netanyahu. Uh, he's a loose cannon. He just really wants to kill everybody and he, he's going to get his way with as much as, as, as they'll let him get away with. Unfortunately, Biden is a weak man and so is uh, Secretary Blinken and they're unwilling to withhold arms shipments. But I do think what they might be trying to do is divert attention uh, to the actual um, target in the greater geopolitical sense, which is Iran. Uh, yes. And if they can end the war in, Iran, uh, in Gaza, the war on Gaza, and de divert uh, their supplying of arms to Israel to you know being used on children uh, and women, 
instead targeting like the IRGC or Iran and using Israel in a direct proxy conflict with Iran, uh, they're they're getting more bang for their buck, as it were. Uh, and it's also a lot less unpopular with uh, you know a, a large portion of Joe Biden's voter base. Uh, so I think all this is really uh, unfolding in the shadow of the 2024 elections. That has to be kept in mind. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, I'm not surprised when I do see Biden and uh, and Netanyahu not getting along. Uh, and that is not because Biden is, oh, uh, uh, he's, you know, just forced to do these horrible, horrible things. No, it's because he wants to win and he wants to keep Trump out of office. Uh, or for com from coming back from office uh, to office, rather. So I, I think that, yeah, we, we could see this starting to wind down. I'm hopeful that that happens. I'm not optimistic. Uh, but I do think that, uh, you know, even if it does wind down, it's very likely, given the state of the United States empire, that we're just a few months away from yet another proxy war at most. Right. <laughs> Right. It's exhausting at this point. Um, and it's so uh, fascinating to me that you bring up Trump in the election year because everything that we were told and listen, this is not an endorsement of Trump. Trump sucks. He's awful. He is just as bad on Israel as Joe Biden is. He is just as bad on foreign policy. Everybody tries to pretend that he's not. Did he start any new wars? No. Did he continue all of them? Absolutely. Did he do more drone strikes than President Obama? He sure did. He's not anti-war. People try to paint him that as that all the time. But it, this is not so this is not an endorsement of him. But everything that they tried to fearmonger us about with Trump. Oh, he's going to get us into World War Three. He's going to do this. He, we're living that with Joe Biden. And so um, it's it, it just it's so frustrating to me to watch the way the liberal mind works and the way they're able to, you know, do these incredible gold medal quality mental gymnastics to justify it when it's their team. When my team does it, it's fine. But if the other team does it, it's literally the worst thing that's ever happened. And that guy's Satan. Um, it's just so frustrating to me to watch that. But you're absolutely right. I think that, um, listen, we've already seen, this is already spread. It's already a broader regional conflict. We've already seen that Yemen is now involved. We're seeing the Syria and Iraq are now involved. And it's only going to continue to spiral, I think. Um, and I think that you're right. I think really the... Um, uh, uh, the end game here is Iran. That's always been on uh, the little check list that they've had. Um, they, they've had their list of countries that they wanted to go after. Iran was certainly on that list. And so I think that there's no doubt that even if the war on Gaza, the genocide on Gaza um, ends, which I genuinely... Uh, I wish for nothing more. Um, I, 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 all of those images that we're seeing on a daily basis are horrific. Um, but I think that you're right. I think that even if that uh, ends, the United States will continue to operate as it has always operated. And that just means more war and chaos and death and destruction. That's what we do. Um, so it'll just be, uh, you know, redistributed elsewhere to somebody else, wh whether it's Iran or whether it's China with Taiwan or whether we go at Russia even harder in Ukraine or whether we start picking on Venezuela more, or it doesn't matter. Um, we are all about global domination. And uh, so that is really the end game uh, in the United States. So yeah, it's just, it's so frustrating to me to watch you know, you mentioned the election year stuff, watching the election year stuff play out and watch people pretend as if their guy is better than the other guy is exhausting. It it's is so joke. exhausting. Yeah. It is a joke. It's so exhausting to me and have trying to have like 
legitimate grown-up conversations with people who uh, play team sports and politics is impossible. Yeah. It is impossible. It, it just wears me out. So, okay. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can support your work, all that good stuff. Yeah. The best place to find me is at Ben F. Rubenstein. That's R-U-B-I-N at uh, on Twitter. Uh, R-U-B-I-N-S-T-E-I-N on Twitter or X as they call it. And I would say that, you know, it hasn't always been this way. Prior to World War II, the U.S. didn't act like this. It's possible to do something better. So don't lose and hope. And we should. No, no, I haven't lost hope. If I had lost all hope um, in my otherwise cold, dead heart, I wouldn't do what I do. You know what I mean? So I haven't okay. lost hope yet, um, but I just, it's, um, sometimes I just get very tired. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is exhausting. Uh, all right, Benjamin, thanks so much for joining me on the show. I appreciate you as always. Can't wait to have you back. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow uh, with Professor David Miller. We're going to talk about his landmark historic victory against Bristol University. Big win for free speech. I'm so excited. Okay. Uh, as Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea is right after this here on today's News Talk.